listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. This morning we are in our third sermon in the series on Joseph in the book of Genesis. Ushers will be coming around. They have Bibles right now. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up. And they'd be happy to give you one for this morning. And if you don't have one at home or at all, then take that home with you. The Word of God is where you will find truth. And where we find truth, we will find life. I have two copies of my sermon notes. Look at that. You get two sermons this morning. I'm kidding. Um, The first week we started in chapter 37, God in the broken dreams. And then chapter 38 of Genesis, God in the pit, penthouse, and prison. And now we're in chapter 40. Speaking about God in the waiting. And I thought it was ironic that I'm preaching this sermon uh, because I'm a very impatient person (laughs) in general. And so often when people even just spend enough time, even just two seconds with me, a lot of people can get the feeling that I'm in a rush. I speak fast, I'm I'm loud, and I I move fast. And and sometimes, honestly, I know that I carry myself in a way that Um, sometimes I carry myself in a way that I have better places to be or more important things to be doing, but I don't. I don't. And maybe you you won't recognize that because maybe you're like that. And I'm often very ignorant of the the assignment that God has for me right here and now because I'm in a rush to go somewhere else and I struggle to be present. I struggle with waiting. I often waste moments of waiting. And we all do in many ways. For many of us, waiting feels like a waste of time. So when we're forced in life to wait for a response, to wait for an answer, waiting until we're older or waiting for that next opportunity, we don't know what to do with ourselves in the waiting. We sit there and we're in discomfort, we're anxious, we're uneasy. I think waiting rooms can feel like a little glimpse of hell on earth sometimes, right? Because, and it's funny and it's also not funny, because waiting can be such a place of agony and torture and loneliness for many of us waiting for things like for the result from a biopsy that you had recently done or waiting for a positive pregnancy test, waiting for a response from that person you're dying to hear back from, waiting for your spouse's heart to change, waiting for school to be over, waiting for kids to grow up or even move out, waiting for God to provide you a spouse, waiting to enjoy sex in marriage as God has designed it. We can put a lot of hope and maybe even a lot of fear, into what's on the other side of waiting when the waiting is over. Good or bad, at least on the other side of waiting is an answer sometimes, right? Something we could do, something I can make a movement, an opportunity. We think the grass will be greener on the other side when the wait is over. And so we feel like places and times of waiting. As a culture, we're trying to exterminate waiting as best we can. We try to get things to be faster, right? We want faster uploads and faster downloads, faster phones. We want faster lanes for our cars. We want faster lanes for our shopping carts, right? We want unhibited access to our doctors. They should just be sitting there waiting for us, right? We want uninhibited access to professionals. We want the items we ordered on Amazon to be here in 15 minutes. I don't care if it was in Japan. Get here now. Right? And we want less time on hold. Amen? (laughs) I'm just kidding. But in God's kingdom and according to God's ways, waiting and traffic, limbo, dormancy, these are the places where he can finally grab us. 
These are the places where he can finally get our attention, where he can get us off our own agenda and let us see his. And so the challenge for me today, the challenge for us today is to not waste the wait. Okay? Don't waste the wait. Say it. Don't waste the wait. Okay, let's not waste the wait. When I'm forced to not move forward, when we're forced to get off of our own agenda, he can finally, God can finally show me himself and get me on his. So let's look at what God did in the life of Joseph in the prison when Joseph was forced into a time of waiting. And let's not waste times and places of waiting. If you have your Bibles, I've given you lots of time to get to chapter 40, all right, of Genesis. All right, it should be near the beginning. Chapter 40 of Genesis is where we are. Let's read this, chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. He asked them, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine were three branches, and as soon as it budded, budded, its blossoms shot forth, and clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker saw that interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake ba baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, and he said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. This is God's word. Joseph was not wasting this time in prison. He did not waste his time of waiting. He was, uh, you know, seeing what, what was to come of his life. He lived in faith while he was in prison. And today we're going to unfold what he put his faith into while he was there so that we too might not waste the wait. And the first thing we see is that Joseph puts his faith in God's active presence. Joseph puts his faith in God's active presence. If you still have your Bibles open, in chapter 39, 
Look at verses 21 to 23. Gives us a little hint because it starts sometime after this in chapter 40, but in chapter 21, we get the, a, clue, a clue what's going on. Chap, uh, sorry, chapter 39, verse 21. <laughs> but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. See, Joseph put his faith in God's active presence because God was with Joseph. In fact, in chapter 39, it also says that earlier in in verses 2 and 3, it says that the Lord was with Joseph and that Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph and blessing Joseph. The Lord was with him. Joseph was never alone. Yes, he served and he worked and he faithfully, he served faithfully and diligently wherever he was, but he did that because he knew God was with him. When God goes with us, his presence is an active presence working through our faithfulness, working through our diligence. And Joseph relied on this. Joseph knew this. And this is where we must start. For the Christian, you are truly never alone. Praise the Lord. We are never alone fully. God is still with us. You know, and I'm not talking about God's omnipotence, the idea, you know, the, the idea that God's everywhere at all times. Just because God is everywhere does not mean we are living and trusting in his active work with us. Instead, for the believer in Christ, God is with us uh, like he was with Joseph through the person of the Holy Spirit. As we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit living in us, going before us. And the, and the Holy Spirit, he's not a shadow behind us. He's, he's not following our every move. He is a light that lives through us. He goes before us and ahead of us, beyond us, around us. He goes into places that we can't reach. He, he, and so we must put our faith that he is working in the places that are beyond our reach. And so there's two ways that we, we respond to his presence in faith. And the first way is by cherishing his presence, cherishing his presence. That's how we put our faith in his active presence. You see, God puts us in times of waiting and limbo so that we might cherish and watch for his presence more closely. Sometimes when Becca and I get to go out for dinner, we're told that we have a 40 to 60 minute wait time or longer. And uh, I typically respond by being like, well, let's go somewhere else, you know? Um, Because how unheard of for me to wait. But on my good days, I will wait. And when I wait... I end up waiting with her, and we're waiting together. And when I'm waiting with her, we talk. There's no food to distract us. There's no person interrupting, you know, how's your meal? (laughs) Sorry, I just, if you're a server, I I do love you. (laughs) Um, No, but I get this time with just just me and Becca, and then I remember just how how funny she is, how wonderful she is, and, and how much I love her. And if I skipped out on that waiting, I wouldn't get that time with her. And, uh, and so I, I realize in, in, on my good days when I, I realize that if I spend that time of waiting with her, I'd rather spend that time, that 60 minutes, that 40 minutes, whatever it is, I'd rather spend that time waiting with her than get an instant meal all alone. And, I'd, and, so, and so the reality is we, we sometimes are pushing away waiting. We're trying to rush through the waiting when really God is saying, I want you to be here with me. 
I want you to cherish me right where you are. I want you to see and find greater satisfaction in me right here. Don't hope for and just look forward to what's on the other side of this waiting, but enjoy that I am here with you right now, just like God was with Joseph in the prison in Potiphar's house. Yes, he could rescue us. He could provide an immediate escape, but maybe he's letting us, maybe even intentionally making us wait so we would spend deeper time with him and find greater satisfaction in him. The second part of putting our faith in his active presence is watching for God's activity. First, we are cherishing him, but then we need to be watching for what he's doing, watching for how he's going before us. As it says in this passage, Potiphar and the prison keeper could see that God was actively blessing and multiplying the, fl- the faithful integrity of Joseph. Look at verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because Joseph worked hard. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say because Joseph had a great resume. Because Joseph, no, because the Lord. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. You see, it wasn't Joseph's work. It was the Lord's multiplying of Joseph's work. It was the Lord blessing his work. God was multiplying his efforts to the point that even pagan Egyptians were starting to give credit to Yahweh God and not to Joseph. And so we must look around us in the seasons of waiting. We must look around us and see what is God growing? What is God multiplying? What is God blessing? Because God does have an active plan to work wherever you are through his Holy Spirit. He has ministry he wants to multiply right where you are. Henry Blackaby said it well. He said, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. We're sometimes trying to rush out of the prison and get through to the escape, but God has something to do right where we are. And sometimes we're too focused on what's on the other side to see the blessing and the multiplication happening right there. Because God God is a God who changes hearts we can't change. He grants favor with people we barely know, right? He, He arranges and orchestrates opportunities that we could never set up. And he is moving mightily in the situations that we're in. And sometimes we want to get out, but, the, but where we are is exactly the place he wants us to be. When I was 18, uh, I was planning on being a worship leader when I would become old, <laughs> like 40. Okay, super old. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm closer to 40 than I want to admit. Um, I, I figured I would not be ready until I was old. That was the idea. And so when I was 20 and I took on a part-time role as a youth intern, I thought that would be a very short-lived experience. I thought they'd be like, man, this was a bad idea. And, uh, and, and then even after that, I started Bible college, and I actually failed my first class in Bible college on the Old Testament. And you're wondering, how is he preaching to us this morning? Um, I failed my first test. Actually, the, I, my proctor for my test was my pastor. <laughs> so he passes me the test, and I put my name on it, and then I passed it back to him because <laughs> that's all I came prepared with. I was just a bad student. And I, I just, I think I had just assumed that I could not do well, so I didn't give effort. Uh, but then I was offered a full-time internship, <laughs> strangely enough, and I was pushed to continue my studies, and God was keeping me where I didn't think I should be. He was keeping me there, even though I thought I should be out doing something else right now. And God was using that season to grow me and to reveal that what I thought would be temporary was actually becoming a calling. You see, if God is growing and sanctifying you where you are, if he is blessing the ministry that you're currently invested in, 
why would we go anywhere else? God can use seasons of prison times and waiting and hard times like that to, to develop depth within our hearts and our souls. And if he's doing that, then that's where he's working powerfully. Why run from it? Joseph wasn't in prison watching for how God was getting him out. He was watching for how God was using him there and working in him there. You see, for the non-believer, waiting can be a lonely, wasted time of passivity. But for the believer, waiting is a forced opportunity to see how God is work working actively right around us, right, right here, right now. And if we want to stop wasting our times of waiting, then we must start cherishing and knowing God is actively with us in the waiting. And I need this sometimes. I especially need this sometimes because in my heart, sometimes I'm doubting that God is doing anything with me. I don't know if you've been there, but sometimes I've wondered, God, what are you even trying to do right now in my life? Why isn't this over? Why aren't we moving on yet? I try to force his hand. I try to escape. But what I need to be doing is watching for him and his activity. I need to spend more time enjoying him. You know, so, so many of us, and I've been there, waiting for mountaintop experiences, waiting for stage front opportunities. How many of us are waiting for that next job or that next project to be over when God is working right where you are, right in the moment we're in? Have you heard of heard, you've probably heard the phrase, when God closes the door, he opens the window. Yeah, you've heard that phrase? That's fluffy nonsense, Okay. <laughs> I had other words, but I had to change them. But fluffy nonsense was the lightest way I could say it. When we, when we think of that picture of, of, and people paint that picture of God closing a door, right? That picture is actually a really awful picture of that God. That's not our God. Because that's a God who closes the door and he's holding the handle. He's like, you're not getting out of here. Figure out a way, you know? Find a window. This comes some kind of sick and twisted escape room game. But it's not like that. What it's more like is like God closes the door and he stays in there with you. He sits down in front of you and he says, I'm not letting you go anywhere because I have something I want to say to you and I have something I want to do with you right now. I have something I want to show you right now, right here. So let's listen up. Let's pay attention for what God wants to say or do in the midst of our waiting. Okay, we are not trapped alone without him. We are alone with him. There's such a difference to being completely alone and being alone with God. Amen? Being completely alone, desperate, needy. Alone with God, nothing can disturb you. Nothing can bother you. It's a beautiful place. The next thing, the next way for us to make the most of our waiting is to have faith paired with hope and help. Faith paired with hope and help. The captain of the guard, verse 4, it says, The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, with the, with the cupbearer and the baker, and he attended him. Joseph attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. The prison keeper put them in Joseph's charge, but it says Joseph took care of them nonetheless. You see, there are two different Hebrew words that are being used here for appointed and attended. The, the word for appointed the, the, is a word of formality. It's kind of like taking attendance. It was an administrative responsibility. The other one is the word uh, attended that is used in the ESV, at least, is, is more about care and servanthood. It's actually more often used in the Old Testament as ministering to someone. And so he was given a responsibility. He was given a charge. He had an administrative task he was supposed to do, but he went beyond that, and he actually cared about these two men. He cared about them. He ministered to them. 
Joseph had his own problems and his own tasks for that day, but they were his, and yes, they were his responsibility, but he wasn't supposed to be their pastor or counselor, okay? It's a prison. He wasn't supposed to care for them. He was supposed to just make sure they didn't go anywhere. Look at verses 6 through 8, though, and what it describes how Joseph was. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. He could see they were troubled, it says. It says that he looked at them and he asked them, why are your faces downcast? Joseph attended to them uh, for a while, and, and it's not like he helped them because this was strategic, right? Sometimes we read these stories of Joseph, and we like, this is just an escape story, and it's not a story of escape. He didn't minister to these guys and care for them because they were his ticket out. He had no idea. He just helped them because they were in distress, and they were in turmoil, and he cared. He cared enough to ask. The story of Joseph, again, is not when God closes the door, he opens the window. That's not the story of Joseph. This is more like when God closes the door, look around, there might be someone you need to minister to. God sets divine appointments for people. He, he, he sets us up in the right place at the right time, but even further, he's wise enough to send the right person with the right pains. See, Joseph's pains and his experiences made him the perfect person for ministering to the needs of the cupbearer and the baker. And Joseph was a parallel to their situation. The cupbearer and the baker, they were in highly trusted positions. They, the safety of the Pharaoh was in their hands, more so than most guards. They protected Pharaoh from poison in the food and poison in the water or in the drink. Their roles were of great importance. So, so they had positions of trust like Joseph did. Right? They were close to power and influence like Joseph. They, Pharaoh threw them in prison out of anger, just like Potiphar did with Joseph. And now G- God was speaking to them in dreams, just like God spoke to them, him in dreams. Joseph's situation of being in prison, being in the waiting room, the injustice he endured, it was the perfect parallel to their situation. So Joseph's story, though tragic, was uniquely useful to God in this moment for ministering to them. It was the right person, with the right pains, in the right place, at the right time. That's not coincidence. That's providence. See, I I love working with people when it comes to talking about their testimonies and what God has done in their life because you get to hear some amazing stories that come in all shapes and sizes, stories of sorrow and some with faithfulness and, and perseverance, mountaintop moments and valleys low. And I hear people's stories and sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but immediately I'm like, man, I got to get you to talk to so-and-so because they're right where you've been. And they need to hear the story of what God has done in your life. Your unique story, each one of our stories is a unique story in the hands of God, useful. Your tears, your grief, they're not wasted in the hands of the Lord. But it's not enough for us to just have hardships like others. We must offer help. We must share our hope despite our hardships. Right? This is what we see with Joseph. His hope was in the Lord. He saw their turmoil and he pointed them immediately to God. Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. When my mom had, uh, was, was going through treatment for breast cancer a few years back, she had a unique opportunity to speak to others in the waiting room. People waiting to go in for chemotherapy. and She was real. And she was honest about her struggles and her discomforts and her pains but she had hope in God. 
She had hope in Jesus. She had something unique about her, nonetheless, of what she was going through. Sharing her hope in Jesus, it didn't make the chemotherapy less painful or less comfortable, but it certainly made it more meaningful. She shared the same pains and the same temptations as others, but she offered a unique hope. Praise the Lord, my mom has been cancer-free for 10 years, and, and she still has opportunities to share the gospel with people through her story and what God has done. So let's not waste times in places of waiting. Let's look around to see who we can help and offer help to be, and hope to because, because places of waiting are places where people desperately need help, where people are looking for hope. You and I are not the only ones waiting on results. We're not the only ones waiting for our big break. We're not the only ones who are waiting for this season to be over. Even though you may not be where you want to be, our pain and our inconveniences of our lives, they're useful in the hands of God as we offer hope and help to others. If it weren't for Joseph being in that prison, he wouldn't have met the cupbearer, right? And who would eventually remember him. But isn't it interesting at the end of chapter 40 that it says that he didn't remember him? Isn't that interesting? And that small point that the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph is supposed to make us curious about why he eventually did. Because he did remember him eventually. But what is it? What was the situation? What triggered the memory of the cupbearer that he remembered Joseph? It was Pharaoh's need. It was Pharaoh's need for an interpreter. It was Pharaoh's need for a minister. What triggered the memory of the cupbearer, what stood out was the God of Joseph. It was the hope of Joseph. It was the ministry of Joseph. It wasn't Joseph's similarities and his, and his similar crisis and injustice that, that caused the cupbearer to remember. It was the hope that Joseph had. So our humanity and our hurts, they, they, they help us relate to others, for sure. They help us relate. But it's our hope in Jesus Christ that sets us apart. So we need to offer both, both to people. We need to both relate to people's pains and, and also we need to show hope. We need to offer hope and good news to them. Charles Spurgeon uses a really beautiful illustration about this. He says, a Christian's experience is like a rainbow made up of grops, sorry, grops, drops of the grief of earth and beams from the bliss of heaven. The teardrops from our grief and pain paired with the beautiful beams of our hope in Jesus Christ makes seasons of waiting more wonderful and more powerful, more meaningful. And I know some of us in this room today are, are waiting desperately for some relief, waiting for, waiting anxiously for things to just finally go our way. Maybe you even just are dragging yourself in here this morning and you're feeling like giving up. I, kn I know what that's like. I've dragged my butt to church too. I want to encourage you and just let you know your tears and your grief are not in vain. They are not wasted. Especially, they are not wasted when they are paired with the beams of your hope in Jesus Christ. Together, they offer help and hope to a dying and lost world. They spur each other on to love and good works. I know as I, I have the joy of leading worship and being up here, and I get to, I just see testimony after testimony, just praising God and just uh, that's the joy of being up here is I get to see faces and when I see faces I see stories when I see stories I know there's tears behind some of those stories but I also see the hope that walks into this room and celebrates a God who saves and rescues and I tell you that encourages you lastly we don't want to waste the wait and the last thing we want to do is we want to put our faith in the truth of God's word in the midst of waiting, putting our faith in the truth of God's word in the midst of waiting. 
We've been talking about the anxiety that comes from waiting and the, and the anxiousness and the worry. Well, the turmoil of the cupbearer and the baker, the, the turmoil they felt, it was seated in their obscurity of their dreams. They're like, I don't know what to do with this. They didn't know how to make heads or tails of their situation. They didn't know what to do with their dreams. They knew there was significance to their dreams, but they didn't know how to interpret them. But Joseph comes along and he says, do not interpretations belong to God. And Joseph knew that God holds all things, that God knows all things. And therefore, if you're seeking clarity on reality, it's best to go to the one who orchestrates reality, the one who sustains reality. If you want to know the truth, go to the God of truth. So God reveals their interpretations to Joseph, and Joseph relays those interpretations to the cupbearer and the baker. And Joseph tells them the truth, but not just what they wanted to hear. He tells the cupbearer that he will be restored, but he also tells the truth, doesn't he? He tells the baker that he will be hanged. And and so Joseph doesn't just even just tell them the truth, but you see even further, he believes, he really believes in this interpretation. He doesn't just say, hey, here's what I think, and hopefully this works out for you, hopefully I'm wrong for the baker. You know, he doesn't say that. What he says is he says, when you get out to the cupbearer, when you get out, not if you get out, when you get out. When you get out, remember me. Joseph was confident. He had faith in not just the interpretation, but in the fulfillment of that interpretation. To Joseph, what God reveals, God will do. We can rest on the promises of our Lord. Amen? Now, Joseph didn't ask the baker to remember him, did he? Because when you, when he didn't say, when you get out, put in a good word for me. He doesn't want the word of a convicted felon. He wants the word of a restored cupbearer. Joseph fully believed both interpretations, the good-hearted, sweet, gracious truth of the restoration of the one, but he also fully believed and was fully honest about the truth of what would happen to the baker. Joseph was confident in the revelations of the Lord. Now, dreams and interpretations in, in Joseph's day, this was how God revealed truth. He revealed truth through dreams and fiery bushes that didn't burn up, and he spoke through whispers, and he wrestled with Jacob. And, and these were fantastic and miraculous means for God to reveal his truth and, and to speak. But now, today, we, we depend primarily on God's word for truth. That's where we go. But, but Hebrew, and Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says it really well. It says that long ago, at many times... And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. God used to speak in many ways at many times, and, but now he's spoken to us by his son, by Jesus Christ, through the gospels of Jesus, through the epistles of, of the apostles. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is all affirmed in canon. We may still have fantastic dreams of God, and there are people that do still have fantastic dreams that God reveals himself. And in most recent years, it's been often said that even many Muslims have, are hearing and having dreams of Jesus, which is fantastic. When they're not surrounded by Christianity or churches at all, God is revealing to people still through his dreams. But when we interpret dreams, we interpret them through whether or not they affirm the lordship of Jesus Christ and the truths of God's word. And so we use God's word as our means for measuring truthfulness. Because without God's word, we will be like the cupbearer, we will be like the baker, we will be anxious, we will be nervous. We don't know what to make heads or tails. I mean, we have this fake news, fake news, what is that? It's hard to get a, a grasp on truth, it seems, these days. But we could be like Joseph in the waiting, trusting that what God reveals, that God will do. 
We can rest in the promises of God. I, the word of God is so beautiful. In it is, our, is, our, is the guarantee and the truth of our salvation. Our, our mission to make disciples is in the word of God. The, the stories of our Savior are in the word of God. There's, there's peace and joy. There's even humor in the word of God. Truth is found in the word of God. And when the world around you seems shaky and when the world around you seems uneasy, and you're not sure about the chaos of your situation, you can guarantee that the word of God will guide your path. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do we believe that God will fulfill his promises when we're in the waiting? Do we have the same assurance and confidence in the word of God like Joseph had in the words that God gave him? Do you believe that his word is the truth and that it's better to know the truth than to affirm our own presumptions? I'll say that again. Do you believe that it's better to know the truth than to affirm our own presumptions? We don't only need truths that make us feel better, right? We need the whole truth. The baker was expecting good news. He thought Joseph was just a nice, cheap fortune teller. Tells them good news, but he told them the truth. And when we're waiting for something, when we want something in life, I know this feeling. When I want something in life, the sinful nature in me wants to try and get God's word to tell me what I want. But we have to be careful about that. Because I think in this day and age where truth is on trial, we need to know the truth, not just the truth that makes us feel good, not just the truth that affirms what we're already thinking. And so sometimes when... when uh, when somebody asks me about God's word and they say, you know, what about this situation? What about this, you know, sensitive topic? And I'll go, well, what do you want to know? Do you want to know the truth? Or do you just want to hear what's going to affirm what you already think and believe? And because the reality is, sadly, in the marketplace of churches and pastors out there, you can find someone who will affirm and teach whatever you really want them to sad they will do theological and biblical gymnastics to ease your mind but like joseph we need to have a firm commitment to wanting the truth and not just some echo chamber of what we already hope to be true joseph knew it was better to know the truth and to tell the truth than to affirm our own presumptions he knew it was better to do that than to just give someone a false hope and, I, and we need to believe this, not, not just for the sake of others, but for ourselves, because our thoughts can be so firmly gripped, so firmly gripped on our hopes and our desires that sometimes we're not willing to let it go and let God's word correct us. We say, God, I need you to come through with this thing that we're waiting for. We'll say things like, I need you to fix this thing that I'm waiting for. I'm, I'm waiting for you. What's taking you so long? When God says, look at my word, look at the truth. And the truth is, you're holding on to something that will just hurt you. It's not true. There's no hope in it. There's no life in it. And, and that really just leads me to um, an important place for all of us. And so I, I just love to, let's, let's bow our heads before the Lord. There's some of us here today who have been waiting desperately and gripping tightly to what's on the other side of waiting. Waiting for someone's heart to change or waiting for our next big break, waiting for enough money in the bank or waiting for that prayer to be answered. We think we need that thing. We think it, we won't live without it. We won't have hope without it. And maybe what started out as something we just asked Jesus for 
something that we originally just lightly hoped for, maybe that thing is so gripped in our hands, it's now become an idol. It's become part of our identity. We're so confident that if we only have that, we'll be okay. In some ways, sometimes our faith is pivoting. Our faith in Jesus is pivoting on whether or not he will give this thing to us. And we need to surrender that idol. We need to choose to trust in Jesus, whatever your situation. We can be wasting this time of waiting, hoping that what's on the other side will satisfy us, but it won't. Today, I need to, we need to find our satisfaction in Christ right here, right now, no matter what's going on in life. And the beauty of the gospel is this. The beauty of the gospel is that when we let loose our grips on our idols, when we let loose our grips on our sin, Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive us as we repent and turn. We can see more beautifully and more richly and enjoy more deeply the beauty of who God is. And he ministers to us more richly and we can minister to others more richly as we let loose our grip on these things. And he longs to satisfy the longings of our heart. So maybe you today, there's something that you've been gripping on the other side of waiting that you need to let go. God loves to set us free from the prison of waiting, but first he wants you to find freedom in the midst of that prison nonetheless. That freedom is found in Jesus Christ alone and surrendering to him and offering up your wants and your struggles and and offering those things up. So today, let Jesus be your satisfaction. Let him be our joy in the midst of of waiting. Let him be our blessed assurance, and we can say that he is ours, and I am his. Our seasons of waiting can be beautiful and precious as we sing in the prison, as we, we enjoy richly his presence with us. Let's, let's pray, Lord, help me. Help us. Help us in seasons of waiting. Help us to find a, a, a rich beauty in spending time with you, a a rich trust in seeing what you're doing. And God, keep us away from self-centeredness and pride, Lord. Guide us towards selflessness and and helping others. We thank you for your word, your word which is true and good. We thank you for the hope we find in it. And we pray, O Lord, that you would work mightily in our hearts today. Would you help us to let loose our grips on our idols and our sin? to repent and turn to you and give you the glory you deserve. You are our Jesus, our Savior. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.